Jedi Squadron is a podcast run by the Anime Secrets website. Check us out at AnimeSecrets.org for more anime, video game, tokusatsu, and now Star Wars content. Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts today. Hello, new Padawans, and welcome to the Jedi Squadron podcast. Here, you will be taking lessons in the many pieces of the Star Wars universe, whether it be the movies, animated series, video games, comics, and etc. This is your training into becoming a Star Wars fan as part of the Jedi Squadron. May your training go well, and may the Force be with you, young Padawans. What is going on, Star Wars Nation? This is the Jedi Squadron Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I'm your host, Nathan DeSaw. And I'm Rizwan Merchant. And today we are reviewing Episode 3 of the Ahsoka series. This episode is called uh, Time to Fly. Before we get started, uh, we are recording this in the midst of the... Uh, Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild strikes. We want to uh, stress that we stand with those who are on the strike. We support them, and we are not being paid to promote this show, nor are we doing this to promote the um, the work of the greedy studios that have made this strike necessary. We do this in support of the hard work of those of the Screen Actors Guild and the Writers Guild, without whose hard work shows like Ahsoka would not be possible. And in the case of Ahsoka... It literally wouldn't be possible because the leading actress, uh, Rosario Dawson, is part of the Screen Actors Guild. So we want to make it clear that we stand with them and everything that they are protesting for, and we are not being paid to promote this in any way. Yep. No, Riz and Nathans are getting paid for this podcast. <laughs> with that being said, uh, before we jump in, we did miss um, a section of... The previous podcast for the uh, first two episodes where I talk about some of the references and uh, other things um, that we're also going to go over the references in a, this uh, third episode too, but uh, there's actually quite a bit. Um, so I'm just going to go over all of them. So um, for starters, we see a lot of, a lot of ships from the uh, animated series make their live action debut here. Uh, Balin and Shin, they travel in a beta class shuttle, which is a, also called a Jedi Ambassador Shuttle. We saw that frequently in the Clone Wars series. I think, I'm pretty sure I saw Obi-Wan use that shuttle at least once in Clone Wars, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we see um, in the hangar of the ship that Balin and Shin attack, we see a few T-70 X-Wings. Uh, these are the Starfighters of the Resistance in the sequel trilogy. They're the successors of the T-65s. Those are the X-Wings that the Rebellion uses. Uh, but the funny thing is we actually see a few T-65s flying in the Rebel fleet. So we can kind of assume that this is during an era where they're slowly phasing those out and bringing in the T-70s. Uh, there's a moment where Ahsoka uses her lightsabers to cut a hole into to enter the temple. And we see her use the exact same move in the uh, final arc of the... Uh, Clone Wars to help her and Rex escape that Republic flagship. That was a pretty cool nod. Uh, the droids that attack Ahsoka are identified as HK-86 droids. Uh, we did see these assassin droids first in The Mandalorian, but the HK series was originally introduced in the KOTOR video game series. Uh, one of the playable characters is a droid called HK-47, so that's pretty cool. 
uh, the ship, and we see it in this episode too. So this is like Ahsoka's primary ship. It's um, a T six shuttle. It's also referred to as a Jedi shuttle. Uh, we saw this in the Clone Wars. I do remember Ahsoka, Obi Wan, and Anakin using the same shuttle in the uh, Mortis arc, and I can't remember what season of Clone Wars that was, but it was. Uh, but it was. Um, but I do remember the Mortis arc was season three. Okay. Uh, Why we... I know that, I have no idea. Well, <laughs> <laughs> now um, th- this is something that I love. Um, we when Ahsoka meets Hera, and we're actually going to see this again in this uh, episode that we're covering. Uh, they actually meet on the Mon Calamari Star Cruiser Home One, which originally appeared in Return of the Jedi. It was the flagship of the Rebel fleet under the command of Admiral Akbar, and it's basically the flagship of the New Republic fleet now. And uh, we actually see um, them meet frequently in the very same briefing room where Mon Mothma and Admiral Akbar briefed the Rebels and our main characters on how they were going to attack the second Death Star. Um, We see several green-marked X-Wings, and it's possible that those are the X-Wings that are part of Green Squadron, which uh, Hera actually led in an unsuccessful attack on Lothal in the last season of Rebels. Uh, we, uh, during the scene where Sabine is, um, going around on her speeder bike, she gets pursued by E-Wing escort fighters. These are the first time that they appear in live action. Um, they apparently originally appeared in the Dark Empire comic series. They were new fighters created during the New Republic era. So fitting that they're introduced as New Republic ships here too. Um, this is cool, uh. When we see Sabine living in the abandoned control tower, we can actually see Ezra's uh, collection of Imperial helmets. Because I don't know if we mentioned this in Rebels, but Ezra loved to collect helmets of like every single Imperial, like a Stormtrooper helmet, a Scout Trooper helmet, TIE pilot. In fact, I literally remember one scene where Zeb was beating up on a Stormtrooper and he holds up a helmet. It's like, hey, Ezra, do you have this one? You do? Okay. And then he just kills the guy. Like, um... And we get that to, was a great moment. Yeah, we get to see that collection um, in the background. Uh, the map that Ahsoka obtains and is later stolen by Elsbeth, uh, it's identified as a star map. And it actually operates very similarly to how the star maps work in the Knights of the Old Republic video game. That's pretty cool. I'm a huge Knights of the Old Republic fan. Uh, and... And for the record, yes, we're going to take a look at those games here on the Jedi Squadron podcast, too, for anyone who's curious. Um, And uh, finally, uh, to wrap it up, I know that there's a lot of references here, but uh, Ahsoka and Hera travel to the planet Corellia to gain information from the New Republic. Uh, This uh, Corellia is actually the home world of Han Solo. It's established in Solo, a Star Wars story. And... To kind of go with the theme similar to Lothal, when we see Solo, a Star Wars story, it looks like it's decayed and like in ruin. But now under New Republic control, it's a lot brighter and, you know, like a bit cleaner. It's kind of similar to how Lothal under Imperial control and Rebels is like this dark, gloomy, like barren planet. And then all of a sudden, now that it's back under New Republic control, it's this bright and clean and like lovely looking world that people will want to vacation on. So, well, Lothal 
in the early season one of Rebels was also bright and, you know, green. It just, it got ruined over the course of four seasons by continuous and increased uh, Imperial rule. And, and, you know, largely because, like, they established that Governor Price was in training to be governor, and she officially became governor in season three, or whichever season Mm -hmm. she originally appeared in. So we could just assume something like that. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's because that's when... I don't know the exact time when Thrawn began doing this, but I know at some point in season three and four, Thrawn began to do a lot more Imperial activity on the planet to begin his TIE Defender program. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned in the books, but it's not been super... At least as far as I've gotten in the books, it's not like I know exactly when he begins, like what episode it correlates to. But Mm -hmm. definitely it's coming, so I can see that being part of why Lothal started to deteriorate in how it looked. Yep. And at some point, we will begin reviewing the other Thrawn books. We already have recorded the first Thrawn novel review. That'll be coming out pretty soon. Um, But we do have plans to review the other two in this trilogy. Yep. And then go back and look at the next trilogy that came out later, but it's set before all this stuff. Yeah. So a lot of Thrawn goodness coming your way in the next couple of months. Mm-hmm. I'm excited mm-hmm. because I am side note. I am loving the second book, Nate. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've begun reading yet, but Oh my God, it's so good. I'll have to get started on it soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> so anyway, to jump into, uh, now that I've kind of uh, bored everyone with those Easter eggs that people like me love to focus on, uh, we can now jump into uh, Time to Fly. Uh, this is this episode is like 34 minutes, so it's much shorter than the previous two, which for the record is fine. I don't like how fans keep complaining about how like they did this with Kenobi and they did it with Bad Batch, how like the episodes get shorter and shorter. To that, I just say, these episodes are as long as the writers feel that they need to be, and that's okay. Like, if they if it needs to be 30 minutes, it can be 30 minutes. If it needs to be 45 minutes, like, we don't need to just needlessly pad these episodes out just for the sake of having more time. Yeah, like, I'd rather them have a shorter episode than have to be required to do six or eight uh, 40-minute episodes because that's what the contract requires them to do. Yeah. Like, if they have to do, you know, all 30-minute episodes, but then the finale is, like, two hours long or whatever, because that's what the finale needs, then great, awesome, let's go. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to complain about her. Well, episode three was only 30 minutes, but episode one was 40 minutes. It's like that Harry Potter meme where Dudley is saying, but last year... Last year, I had 37 presents. This year, mm-hmm. I have 35. It, that's that's what the Star Wars fans sound like when they start going off like that. And I, exactly. I don't like it. So, let's not be a Dudley. Yep. But, uh, they kind of summarize what happens in this episode. So, we get a lot of Ahsoka and Sabine scenes. Ahsoka train is once again training, uh, Sabine, uh, how do you, you know, with her lightsaber training, with uh, using like wooden practice sabers, along with Hugh Yang helping her out. Um, 
Ahsoka also talks about, um, you know, trying to educate Sabine with the Force, during which he actually gives some pretty clever commentary that they're hinting that maybe Sabine, maybe she's Force-sensitive, maybe she isn't, but she says that, like, the Force isn't all of us. Like, everyone has the Force in them, It's and some people are just naturally born with it, but then there are others where it takes training and discipline and even they too can partially use the force which i think is their way of trying to tread lightly on the idea of sabine being force sensitive or not but well um, to me it harkens back to what obi-wan said in a new hope where he said the force is in all of us everything around us has the force mm -hmm. and that's a very true statement that everything does have the force within it and that's how those that are more force sensitive can feel their surroundings and do those incredible things that they do, like sense the entire planet of Alderaan vanishing in the blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. Like that that's a force that's because everything on Alderaan had force in it. So they can sense that going away. Mm -hmm. And likewise, Sabine has the force within her, but the question becomes can Sabine utilize the Force in a meaningful way, or is she just a dormant carrier of Force characteristics, but she can't tap into it? And, you know, either way is fine. She doesn't have to be super Force-sensitive. And I'm honestly really happy. So I know last episode, I commented that I hope they don't make her like a Force-sensitive person right off the bat. And so far, I think they've been doing a great job yep. with sewing Sabine struggling with this. And at one point, Ahsoka even says, I'm not trying to make her into a Jedi. I'm trying to make her be who, she's, who she is. Yeah. Like, be herself. And to me, that doesn't mean that she's going to become Force-sensitive. It just means Sabine has to figure out who she is on her own. Because... The more I think about Sabine's character in Ahsoka, I almost get the feeling she only went down this path with Ahsoka as a kind of way to pay homage to Ezra and also to help Ahsoka more in her mind in a meaningful way. Because if she can be a, a Force-sensitive person, maybe Sabine thinks she can do more to help than if she was just with Ahsoka as a Mandalorian. But I think Ahsoka doesn't need her to be a Jedi or a Force-sensitive. Ahsoka just wants her to realize who she really is. And I'm hoping that's the lesson we learned at the end of all this. Yeah. And uh, Sabine actually does try to use the Force to call a cup to her, but it doesn't work. Uh, which was yeah. pretty cool. And it, it was actually a real funny scene how she gets called. Well, she tries it and it's silent. And then she has to get called away when they're coming in on the system. And she looks at that cup and she says, you win this round. Like, <laughs> I loved that. that is yeah, so that was Sabine. pretty great. Um, I mean, Sabine is portrayed so well in this season. Like, oh my God, it's Sabine from Rebels all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Th this actress, uh, this actress was perfect. Yeah. Like, I'm glad that they didn't just try to... I mean, okay, 
I'm cool. Like Rosario Dawson was already a pretty decent name before she got cast as Ahsoka, but she still gets the part done. I'm glad that they didn't try to just get some big name actress just for the sake of having like name recognition to play Sabine. They just picked who was perfect to play the role. And because like I said, this actress, the only thing she had before that was of any meaningful was that she was a background character on the greatest showman. So yeah, it's yeah. I'm I'm glad. And I really hope that this actress goes on to do more things after this show. So And I think this is I might be wrong about this, Nate, but I think Ahsoka, the TV show, is the first time we bring animated series original characters not into trilogies to live action. I would yeah, I think so. Well, okay, no, I'm wrong. Cad Bane was in. Uh, well, yeah. So no, I'm wrong. That, that's not. And correct. if you want to be technical but, about it, Chopper was in Rogue One in a cameo. I don't count that. Okay. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Chopper <laughs> is a murder bot, and he is everywhere all at one time, and I love yeah. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? Suit it down. <laughs> but anyway, uh. So we also get another side plot where Hera tries to convince the Re- the New Republic Senate to assist in uh, Ahsoka's mission. But unfortunately, the New Republic is incredibly uh... – so first of all, they think that Thrawn and by extension uh, Ezra are dead. There's this one senator who I'll mention a little bit later who's kind of a jerk. Uh, almost, And it when he mentions that Ezra is dead, it almost feels like he was – stabbing Hera with a knife and then twisting it like in a way mm-hmm. like that was just horrible um but anyway they refuse to uh to help and then while um Ahsoka and Sabine are in hyperspace they get taken out of hyperspace in this in Cetos which is where the uh which is where Elsbeth space station the Eye of Scion is located and then they get attacked by a group of starfighters led by a uh, Sheen and we get this really awesome space battle, but then their ship gets severely damaged by the Eye of Cetos, and they're forced to land on the ship, on the planet, and hide. And, you know, they're stranded until they can repair their ship. And the episode ends with uh, Balin sending his men out to, uh, go and, to go and capture them. And that's basically the whole plot of the episode in a nutshell. Now, the cool things that I want to bring up that are kind of like an Easter egg... Mm-hmm. We get our first look at live action Jason. Yep. And that's super exciting for me. So, Jason, for those that don't remember from our season four review, Jason is the son of Hera and Kanan. And we only see him briefly in the epilogue of Rebels with him and his mom flying somewhere in their ship. So, it's cool to see live action Jason here. Mm hmm. Even if it's brief. And I love how he says that he wants to be a Jedi. Because that's just so adorable. Well, it brings up an interesting question, too. A lot of people I've been reading on Reddit have asked, does Jason know that he's uh, his dad's a Jedi? Because the way he says, I want to be a Jedi, it's not, it didn't seem like, he was at, he was saying it because he wants to honor his dad. He was saying it more like 
that's a cool thing that I want to do one day. Just like any yeah. kid might say, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up or something like that. You know, it wasn't like I want to be a Jedi to honor my father. It's more of a, ooh, I'll be an astronaut. That sounds like fun. It's weird how no one has mentioned Kanan by name. Like, even when Hera was talking about how she wants revenge on Thrawn, like, she says that Thrawn has taken people away that from her that mean dearly to her. Okay, people who have seen Rebels know who she's talking about, but she never mentions Kanan by name. Like, it's, it's interesting that she does that, and I agree, that's odd. And And isn't it also odd how no one ever brings Kanan up when... Uh, Ahsoka's putting Sabine through that lightsaber training because Kanan originally trained her on that with and the Kanan dark did saber. same stuff. Yeah. No, I think I think there's something to it. I just don't know what. But of course, that might be my fanboy within me hoping for something to be there. Like I don't. I know Kanan's not going to come back, but you know, like some kind of reference or something later would be good. And I'm hoping we get that later. But it is great that, you know, he uh, he appears here because the funny thing is, is that Hera herself has gone on to appear in some other things. Like, I, I haven't read this book series yet, but uh, Star Wars Explained is a huge fan of this book series. It's called Alphabet Squadron, which revolves around, um, uh, like, a squadron of like rebel pilots in the uh, post battle of Endor era. Apparently Hera appears in like one or two books of that series and they mention Jason, but he never appears. So this is like, I mean, and he doesn't say anything in the, uh, in the uh, rebels epilogue. So this is like his first speaking role in the show, but in any star Wars media. So it's pretty cool, and I really hope that we get to see him more frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point we'll have a Jason-focused thing, I hope. It'd be cool. Like, I mean, I don't, maybe the time, maybe he'd be a little too old, although maybe not, actually. Like, maybe he could be part of Ray's little future Jedi order in the post-sequel trilogy era. I don't know about that, because by that point, Jason would be like 30, 40 years old. Yeah, well, it's better than him being part of Luke's Jedi Order and having been killed by Kylo Ren. Okay, when you put it that way, you're right. Because because Rey would be, a, Rey would be around Jason's age, too, around this time. Maybe yeah. a little bit younger, but... May I? I have to look it up on Wikipedia. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, seeing Jason was pretty awesome. Uh, my one thing that I really love, like I, and maybe this is done in Resistance. I I don't know. Although, actually, no. Given the time period, maybe it maybe it's not done since I don't think the period would align with it. But my one of my favorite parts was the scene with Hera and. Um, and the new Republic Council, because I'm a huge fan of how the the new canon really tries to add a lot of grayness as opposed to the black and white era where, you know, like, I feel like you would think that they would be like, oh, well, of course the new Republic is perfect because they're not the Empire. The Empire was horrible and they did all these horrible things, but 
then here we see the new republic and they are denying and they're just ignoring something that's a very real threat which could lead to a big threat coming up many years for later and spoiler alert a huge threat does come on later (laughs) Um, (laughs) but everybody's seen the sequel trilogy so they'll know that um we're sorry yeah um and they're refusing to help someone who was a huge help to their cause original cause because they don't think it matches their strategic interests like i love how they're showing flaws in the new republic senate and i don't think they're trying to make mom mothma look bad because she's just like she's the chancellor but she wants the senate to have a really big call and it's clear that there's this one senator uh, Zionu. I'll I'll go into more detail on him a little bit later, but uh, yeah, he's clearly being kind of a jerk. So that was one of my favorite things. Like I love how they're not trying to make the New Republic this perfect entity that can do no wrong. Because hey, they're not the Empire, so they must be perfect. Like no, they're better well, than the Empire, but they're they got a lot of issues. Well, they're also, in my opinion, still very weak because they're still forming and adapting to the new paradigm after the empire Mm -hmm. so i think it's acceptable for them to be kind of um rough around the edges as you might say yep and i mean watching this episode i think i even texted you this or i texted somebody this man i can see exactly how the new the first order came in and started cleaning house like now it makes sense because yeah. the new republic is not perfect. Yeah, I think you mentioned that. Uh, mentioned that to me. Yeah, I mean, if you read the book Bloodline, they go into more detail of how the first order was born from like the internally from the new republic, but uh, mm-hmm. it's only subtly hinted in that book. Yeah. Um, and the but one scene that you know, and you'll love this if you're a Clone Wars fan is. The space battle scene, like Ahsoka putting on a spacesuit and like flying around on a ship and slicing up starfighters with their lightsabers. That that's a scene ripped straight out of a Clone Wars episode. And to see that in live action, that was just that was so awesome. That's awesome. It was a really great moment. Like you can definitely tell Ahsoka is Anakin's student in that moment when she goes in the spacesuit out there to fight Zed fight fighters or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the space battle was also really well, really well done. Like it, like I, I can't remember. I don't think there were any real space battles in Kenobi, um, but Mm-mm. there's occasional ones in the Mandalorian that they're done pretty good. But this, this feels a lot like. I'm watching like a big budget like Star Wars movie in the theaters with how the space battle this, was directed. This feels like the prequel trilogy effects to me and I love it. Yeah. Like I don't even think Okay, so I'll be honest. I haven't seen the sequel trilogy since was it 2018 or 2019 when uh Rise of Skywalker came out? Uh, 2019. I haven't seen the sequel trilogy since 2019. So I might be misremembering, but I don't even think they had any, like, big epic battle like this. I mean, 
they had battles in space, obviously, but I don't think they were as well done as this one was, in my opinion. But yeah. what do I know? Uh, I, I'd have to watch it again, and I don't know when I'm going to do that. Do you have any other uh, positive, uh, big, cool moments that I didn't drop that you might want to mention, Riz? Um, I think one interesting thing that you and I talked about earlier offline, Nate, mm-hmm. um, Huang brings up a very interesting thing about oh, Sabine's yeah, yeah. Jedi lineage. So he says... Ahsoka comes from a long line of non-traditional Jedi. And when you look back at her master tree, and I'm going to read your list off here, Nate. Mm -hmm. It goes, Ahsoka, trained by Anakin, who's trained by Obi-Wan, who's trained by Qui-Gon, who's trained by Count Dooku, who's trained by Yoda. And of that list I just told y'all, the only person that I would even remotely consider traditional is Obi-Wan. And maybe Yoda, we can make a case either way for him. Um, Did you understand my logic that we spoke of off screen about why Obi-Wan is largely traditional? Oh, no. I, I uh, Okay, so to clarify, and I'll read this out for the people that don't know our forever conversation. But So Nate says he can buy off on Yoda being not traditional and Obi-Wan being traditional. And that's because Obi-Wan was more adherent to the will of the Council and he often had disagreements with Qui-Gon over stuff frequently. And while he was occasionally skeptical and he had Anakin's back, he ultimately always deferred to the council. Like, he voted for Ahsoka's expulsion, but he was not 100% behind it, but he did it because the council, for the most part, wanted to. So, yeah, he's traditional in that way, and I definitely agree with that. I wasn't trying to tell you that I don't think Obi-Wan is not traditional, I was just asking you for clarification of those are the two that you thought were traditional because yeah. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because and, so. and it's also because like I read one book called Master and Apprentice, which is all about the relationship between Obi Wan and Qui Gon. And a huge thing that Qui Gon notes is that Qui Gon thinks that the count he thinks that the council is wise, but he has issues with it. While Obi Wan just the council knows best. The council's great. All hail the yeah. council, basically. Well, and honestly, so the reason I consider Yoda more towards the not traditional is because of something Qui-Gon does. Qui-Gon is, to my knowledge, the first force wielder to learn how to become a force ghost. To have his spirit become one with the Force once he died. Yeah. I don't think anyone had done it prior to him. And much the same way, Yoda did something similar with his ability to force sense and communicate with those on different planets in the way that he did. Uh, I don't think other Jedi, aside from maybe Luke, has been able to do that since Yoda. Or at least not as accurately or as well as Yoda can do it. I might be wrong on that, though. I don't know, but that's my thought process here. And so my thinking is the more innovative people that bring new things and new tricks to the Force, they're not going to be their traditional Force builder. 
Yeah. What do you think? Do you, I don't know if there's anyone else that does what Yoda did. You can correct me if I'm wrong there, because you've read more of the books than I have. I, I don't, like, maybe if I, once I get to the High Republic books that I'm going to be reading, maybe, but there's no Jedi that I've read that's been, like, that I would say is on the level of Yoda in terms of, like, just wisdom and everything. Like, I'm sure, like, there's definitely a lot of Jedi that I feel, like, are much more powerful than Yoda was. Like, obviously, I think Anakin or Luke, in terms of raw power... It, Mace. But, yeah, Mace Windu, too. But I feel like Yoda is just, like... I don't know. There's a reason why whenever somebody wants to refer to someone as, like, the wisest of all people, they say the Yoda of X, because I just yeah. don't think there's anyone... And maybe when I go to the High Republic era, I'll see somebody different, but as of right now, I don't know anybody better than Yoda yeah. in that regard. So, yeah, I mean, we have these non-traditional people that have all trained one another going down the line to Ahsoka. And now Ahsoka, a non-traditional Force-wielder, former Jedi, is training somebody with in the words of Hugh Yang, the worst connection to the Force he's ever seen in the mm -hmm. entirety of his like time as a robot. And it's interesting that Ahsoka picked Sabine, or agreed to help Sabine. The exact nature of how this arrangement began is unknown to us, but in any event, if Sabine went to her and said, I want to learn the ways, and Ahsoka said, fine, or Ahsoka told her, let me teach you, for her own reasons, we don't know, but I think it's interesting that Ahsoka took her on regardless, because that tells me that she's trying to build something a bit different than what the Jedi have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it might be cool to have Luke do a cameo at some point in this, in this little season to help Sabine, that'd be pretty cool, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I doubt it. I mean, it's possible, but... I mean, even if it doesn't happen, I mean, I I think Dave Filoni is just, like, Dave Filoni knows best, so... Dave Filoni definitely knows best. By the way, on a side note, I, I know this is kind of a tangent, but I actually read someone recently... Uh, you know someone who met um, for all the people who have issues with the sequel trilogy, I like if there's someone who is more hated than Kathleen Kennedy, it's Ryan Johnson. Did you know that Dave Filoni was partially mentored by Ryan Johnson on the set of The Last Jedi? So I'm we, not. We have to respect him for that. No, I I see Ryan's influence. Not that he mentioned it on what Dave Filoni does. Mm -hmm. I can see it, but I also think Dave Filoni, while he might have been inspired by Ryan Johnson in some of what he did, I think Dave Filoni had his own vision, his own plan from the get-go. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say that from day one in, what, 2008 or 2007, mm -hmm. when the Clone Wars movie first came out, that he had this grand vision for Ahsoka to go on for this long and appear in so many different things. Yeah. Like, I don't think he had that planned, but he definitely has the vision for what helps the franchise the most. Because when Dave Filoni came in, 
the prequels were the most hated thing among fans. Nobody mm-hmm. liked the prequels. But then, myself included, when we started watching Clone Wars and Rebels and kind of digging deeper into what Filoni brought us, the, the perception sifted. Now, I still don't care for episode one and two all that much, but I definitely have respect for episode two and three a lot more now. Yeah. Because Filoni's depiction of Anakin has gone a long way to fix my perception of the, of the prequel trilogy. Now, Filoni is doing something very similar here with the live-action Mandoverse TV shows of Mando, Boba Fett, and now Ahsoka. So, and I think he is starting to do that damage control that we need to help us understand the prequel trilogy. Now, there's some stuff in the prequel trilogy that I'm still skeptical on if we'll ever truly feel better about, even with Filoni's magic. But only time will tell, really. Yep. I mean, I also bring that up just to say that, I mean, I'm not, I don't know how I feel about J.J. Abrams with the two movies that he directed, but I, I know this might be an unpopular opinion in Star Wars, but I actually respect Ryan Johnson. Like, I liked the direction that he took with The Last Jedi, and I know that's going to get, <laughs> that might give me a little bit of hate, but yeah, that that's my opinion. I like the direction, and I honestly think that if Ryan Johnson got to direct that whole trilogy, it would have been a little bit better. And with that comment, we have gotten our first one-star review ever <laughs> on, on uh, iTunes or Spotify. Yeah, well, it is just, what it just is. Wait, it's going to happen. It is what it is. <laughs> but I, I share your opinion, Nate. For anyone else who wants to write a one-star review about me doing the same thing, yeah, I actually thought Ryan's movie was the best of the three from the yeah. sequel trilogy. Yeah, like. You know, I, it definitely has its faults, and there are definitely things that I wish were done differently. We'll get into what those are when we get to that movie review, but just know that I have my grievances with some of Luke's characteristics, but overall, I can respect what Ryan was going for here. Yeah, and... and- you might ask how this relates. Like, I just bring it up because, like, Ryan, like, Dave Filoni looks up heavily to Ryan Johnson. So, yeah, I mean, everybody likes to say that Dave Filoni is like the current George Lucas for Star Wars. Well, Dave Filoni has a lot of respect for that guy. And no, I, Dave Filoni's better than George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's be honest there. But what would um, we, uh, but to kind of get back on subject here, uh, what will we think about, you know, this current episode? Like, just, you know, like, any closing thoughts on it? So, my favorite parts of this episode we've already talked about, but to recap it real quick, I liked the insight into the New Republic. I thought that was interesting to finally get, because we've been kind of, you know, we've been seeing this world post-Return to the Jedi for a couple of years now with Mando and Book of Boba Fett. But this is the first time we really see what the New Republic is up to and how they operate, who's in charge, what's the climate like. So that, to me, as a political nerd, was very interesting. And then as a fan, fanboy really, 
watching the space battle was a lot of fun. And Ahsoka's spacesuit scene is probably one of my favorite moments in Star Wars now. Yeah. Um, top 10 at the very least. So those are my thoughts. I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. Um, I think just to kind of give some more of an update on my earlier, I don't want to call it a concern, but I was definitely not feeling Hera in episode one as being true to Hera and Rebels. But the more I see Hera, the more I see Rebels Hera here. And, you know, I, I know I said last time that I was more reconciled to the fact that this was Hera, but episode three has gone further to cement my initial reservation was unfounded. Also, Stopper's the best. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, before we... Uh, I mean, I've pretty much said my piece. Uh, so before we uh, just kind of give our final ratings and, you know, our thoughts, I since we don't miss it this time, I want to shine a light. They're not, not as many since it's only one episode this time, but I did want to bring up some of the... Uh, references and easter eggs um so uh, for starters uh we get a i don't know if this was meant to be a reference to a new hope or not but i'm 99 sure of it it was uh during the scene where ahsoka is training sabine he gives she gives sabine a helmet to cover her face similar to what obi-wan did in a new hope and sabine actually makes a similar remark to luke uh, in A New Hope, Luke says, but with the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? And here Sabine says, I can't see. How am I supposed to fight? So that's pretty cool. Um, there's a fighting technique that Ahsoka references called Satochi. Now, at first I thought that this was supposed to be a lightsaber fighting style based on Legends, but it apparently isn't. But a possible reference is that it's a reference to a blind samurai character, fictional samurai character called Satoichi. And the reason why this might be possible is because this blind samurai character was a huge inspiration for Chirrut Imwe, who was that blind force monk character in Rogue One. So, yeah, I I'm willing to bet that's probably it. Um, one of the senators speaking to Hera is Hamato Ziono. He is the senator of the planet Hosnian Prime, which is going to be the planet that gets destroyed by Starkiller Base in The Force Awakens. Uh, and he's apparently the father of the main character uh, of the Resistance animated series, uh, Kazuda Ziono. Again, I haven't watched Resistance yet, so I wouldn't know. But, uh, but he's made a few appearances on said series. Although, if he's anything like what he is in this episode, I'm probably not going to like him. Uh, Hera claims to have um, encountered Imperial loyalists in the Santhi shipyards. Uh, we actually see this location in Solo, a Star Wars story. It's where Han crashes his speeder while he's trying to escape a gang um, in the beginning, while he's still with Kira, or whatever the name of the character was, played by... Uh, Daenerys Targaryen's actress, uh, Emilia Clark. Yeah. Um, and this other one, this isn't a reference to Star Wars. It's actually an Indiana Jones reference. Uh, 
during the space battle, Hu Yang screams, this is intolerable, which is the catchphrase oh. of Henry Jones Sr., Sean Connery's character in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which I love that. That's my favorite Indiana Jones movie. So if they want to make references to that, I'm all for it. Um, I mean, hey, more power to them. Yeah, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast. I'm a, okay, I don't, I still need to see the last movie, um, but, and I don't hate the fourth movie as much as everybody else does, but it's still not my thing. Like, I'm actually a big fan of the Indiana Jones movie, so if they make references to this, you can bet that I'll probably catch them. Um, yeah. But yeah, those are all the references that I, that I spotted. Um, so, one, one thing I forgot to mention earlier... I don't know if you've seen a lot of this, Nate, but there's been a ton of speculation on Merrick's identity. Mm -hmm. And I just want to talk about a couple of those fan theories that are running around out there. Um, The first big one is people think Ezra is the guy behind the Merrick mask. And that he's either being controlled by... Balin, or he's working with them, or something. And I I just don't see it. Um, Rebels established that Ezra's already flirted with the dark side, and he grew strong enough to resist it. I don't think Filoni would undo that work. So, I don't agree with that one. Um... There's also a fan theory that he's Star Destroyer from the Force Unleashed video game. Uh, that's Star Killer, not Star. Star Killer. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, you're right. But I haven't seen, I haven't played that game, so I don't know much about the character. But that'd be interesting if it was. But I don't know. And if I don't. Know, maybe you do. I don't see how that. Okay. Like, I mean, his story is that he was the son of a Jedi master that Darth Vader tracked to Kashyyyk in the early empire days. And then Vader killed him and then took him in as a secret apprentice. And then he turned on Vader and he was supposedly killed, but then Vader, this is the character star killer. Vader created a clone of him in, uh, in, in the second forced unleashed game. I, I can't remember how the story of the second one goes, though, because, again, truth be told, the second Forced Unleashed game is terrible. Um, the, the first one is still great, though. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't see how that would be possible, though, because, I mean, this was a character who was va- during Vader's time. So, and keep in mind, yeah. and if he was a clone, which is what Starkiller is, then, like, this is a guy who's probably, like, at the very least, like as old as Rex would have been during the time of Rebels, so I don't, I don't, I don't know how that would work. I mean, yeah. I mean, Filoni, if you're listening to this, like, could you have it? Okay, maybe it doesn't have to necessarily be Marak, but could we please, please, please bring Barra Sophie in as an Inquisitor? Okay, please. So I'm upset so with that story. I, now. I actually have two more theories one of which you kind of touched on Mm -hmm. indirectly so merrick's other fan theory identity is that 
it's actually Barrett's Ophi. I would love that. And I would love that too, because that would be perfect given Barrett's and Ahsoka have all that history and they could, you know, have one last go at it before everything happens. Yeah. I think that'd be great. Um, and then the last one, I I haven't read this book, so I'm a little bit less aware of how things happen in there, but apparently an heir to the Empire, Luke has faced a clone of himself, so it's possible... Yeah, he does. Well, that... not, in, not in the Heir to the Empire, in the last episode of the... in the last book of the Thrawn trilogy, which is called The Last Command. Okay. And these are the 90s Thrawn books, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I, I, I'd be very interested to know more about this, but the theory people are saying is Merak is actually the failed clone of Anakin himself. Mm-hmm. Um, that was created for events with Rise of Skywalker. And I, I hope not. But I also can see why people think that because we do know Hayden Christensen will be back in some capacity in here. We just don't know how. And that will be certainly a very interesting way to tie this to the sequel while giving Hayden a chance to play himself in modern time as himself and not the suit. Yeah. So it'd be interesting. I just don't know how I feel about it being a failed clone of Anakin. The clone would make sense though, because it, uh, because they've apparently confirmed it's apparently confirmed in the novelization, but the Palpatine that we see in rise of Skywalker, that's not Palpatine Palpatine. That's a clone of Palpatine. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. But yeah, those are the theories that I was reading about that I'm making, made a note of, um, also, want to not s- really. On a sorry, Riz, go ahead. No, good. I know this doesn't relate to anything, but speaking of Barriss Sophie, I actually just found this out sh- a little while ago. Apparently, there was supposed to be a scene in Revenge of the Sith uh, where Barriss Sophie was shown getting killed on Felucia during Order sixty six, like an ATAT, like shoots and kills her, and then like it literally stomps on her after killing her, and <laughs> kind of. Kind of convenient that they cut that scene out because if you know what happens to her in Clone Wars, people are going to be like, wait a minute, she shouldn't be fighting there? Like, thank God that scene was cut and is apparently not considered canon anymore. But That's good. Yeah, but can we please just... I want to see Barra Sophie and Ahsoka fight because what she did to Ahsoka was horrible. Yeah. And I just want to see there be justice for Ahsoka and justice against Barra-Sophie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We need that. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm going to give you a warning. I know that Filoni's probably not listening to this, but I'm going to bring this, uh, I'm going to bring this up every podcast now, just until Filoni does it. I do it because I'm not going to shut up until he does it. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't. Yeah. But, uh, what will we give this episode out of ten? Um, I'd go with a nine here. Yeah, I'd give it a nine too. I I just hope that uh, I'm just 
I'm just really hoping that by episode five, we're exploring this new galaxy where uh, that Thrawn is supposedly in, because I'm really excited about seeing what this new galaxy looks like. Oh, yeah, me too. Oh, and I forgot to mention this in the references before we close out. Uh, we see the Purgles in live action yeah. for the first time here That's during the space cool. battle. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, I should have brought that yeah. up before. I think they were referenced uh, in one episode of The Mandalorian. I do remember like them mentioning the space whales with just like a different term for the Purgles. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. But uh, was there anything else you wanted to bring up in this podcast? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I'm good to go. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, just a heads up, uh, guys, uh, we're, um, we might be able to do, uh, the fourth one on time, but if not, we might do uh four and five uh, together. Uh, my wife and I are going to be out of town for Labor Day weekend, which is going to be after it might be Labor Day weekend by the time this is posted. But as of the recording of this Labor Day weekend is the upcoming weekend, so, but uh, we'll try to get episode four posted on time. But uh, and uh, as Riz said, uh, we're going to be posting uh, our first uh, uh, review of the Thrawn books on it. So mm-hmm. we hope you guys will check that out. Um, I'm looking. I'm trying to finish. I'm going to try to finish my uh, reading of a Shadow of the Sith by uh, next month, and then get a review for you guys out on that. So I hope you guys will check that out. Um, and we got a lot of other things planned. Uh, yeah. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast, uh, even some of the more controversial opinions that we might have. But uh, if <laughs> if you disagree, you can feel free to um, comment down below because, you know, we're we're always welcome to having having discussion, even with people who don't agree with us, because we're not going to be one of those gatekeeping fans. You know, that's the beauty of having a fandom. Not everybody has to agree on everything. Um, yeah, definitely. With that said, we will. Uh, we are going to be. Uh, we want to give a shout out to everybody who watches us on YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. Uh, you know, leave us any reviews. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes and Spotify, you can uh, give us. You know, feedback on our website, AnimeSecrets.org. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. If you're not already subscribed, like this video, leave comments down below. Uh, we do like to uh, read any comments that we might get um on youtube during a little segment uh and that's about it we once again thank you guys so much for uh, taking the time to listen to us and we will catch you again next time when we take a look at the next ahsoka but until that time you guys stay safe we love you and may the force be with you